Well, I would like to welcome all those joining us online today. And I do know that we've got a number of college students with us today for our college lunch and a number of international students. Can we welcome them this morning? Thanks for being here today. Connection Point Church truly is for everyone. And so we're glad that you're here to just worship with us today and to join us for a great lunch. It's always good food back there. It'll be fun as we do that. One of the things I'd like to mention, and I do believe it's in your program, is this Friday we're doing something called Secret Church. And this is actually a global movement. It's been around for years. And we're not going to link up with, with the global movement of this. It actually already happened, I think, a week ago. And, but what they do is, is they, they celebrate or come alongside an understanding that everywhere around the world doesn't have the privileges that we do, like we have to come together on a Sunday morning in a public place to worship God. That there are a lot of places in the world where you cannot openly worship God, that, that they do something called secret church. They have house churches, an underground church. And so what we're going to do on Friday night is simply to learn a little bit more about the persecuted church and that we have in our lives the liberty to talk freely about who Jesus is, but a lot of people don't. And so we want to learn a little bit more about that, so I'll give introduction to that. We're going to watch the, a movie called The Insanity of God. It's a great movie based on the book where a man went and interviewed believers from around the world and talked with those who lived in difficult places where it was difficult to live as a Christian. So we want to watch that movie and then take time to pray. And so we're going to have, if you've not joined us for a global prayer event, we've got these huge floor maps of different regions of the world with Africa and Northern Asia and Latin America. So we want to put those out because we want to pray for countries and nations and specifically those where uh, we've got persecuted uh, believers around the world. So pray for them. And then just also pray for um, people to have an awareness of who Jesus is. So we encourage you to come out, join us for that event. You'll learn a lot about the persecuted church. Um, what I have found and really what my challenge is, is what I had seen in the lives of those who lived in places where it was difficult to be a Christian they take their identity and who they are in Christ very, very seriously. And they live for Christ in phenomenal ways. One of the interesting things, Nick Ripkin wrote this book, The Insanity of God, and he did a study. He went to Russia and went there when the church was heavily persecuted and interviewed believers then. So this is when uh, it was run as a communist nation, so they really didn't value the church. And he met with the youth and went to a youth congress, and what he found is they had entire books of the Bible memorized, and they took following Jesus to a whole new level in what it means to be a disciple. But then he went back years later when the Iron Curtain had fallen, communist was done, and they could freely worship, but what he found with the youth is they no longer grabbed a hold of the Bible and followed Jesus with that same kind of faith. And so I think the challenge for us when we live in a country where we can freely worship is to be serious about who we are in Christ. Does that make sense? May we never take for granted the freedom we have, but may we take uh, the opportunity we have to follow Jesus and do so with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. So that really is my heart behind Secret Church, that we would come together, take a look at how other believers live in Christ, and may that challenge us to be more diligent in the way that we follow after Christ. So that's my goal. So I won't make that a secret. So come to Secret Church so you can see what it is to follow Jesus on a very different level. Um, that's our heart. So I encourage you to come out for that. Uh, well, I want to ask a question this morning. Raise your hand if you could tell me the names of your grandparents. If you know all the names of your grandparents. Anybody that can do that? Usually most people know their grandparents' names. Some don't. Uh, what about your great-grandparents? Do you know all their names, great-grandparents? 
Some of you can do that. That's pretty good. Uh, what about your great-great-grandparents? Anybody know their names? We've got a couple that do. Um, usually that gets a little bit harder to do. You know, what's interesting is, you know, Shelly and I, we lived in the Middle East. We lived in North Africa. And if I asked that question of somebody, so we, we were a part of running a school in East Jerusalem for Palestinian youth. And if I were to ask that question of one of the Palestinian students, they could go back five, ten generations easy. And a lot of that has to do with how they are named. You know, so we bear a first name, a middle name, and a family name, right? Well, their name consists of, think about in the Bible, it's Jesus. Do they give a last name? No, it's Jesus, son of Joseph. And it's the same way. If you go to the Middle East, you ask them, what is your given name? So let's say it's Basile. So Basile, what's your next name? It's his father's name. So let's say it's Ali. So Basile Ali, what's your next name? It's his grandfather's name. Basile Ali Ahmed, let's say. You could keep on going. So they know their lineage because their name consists of all of their genealogy. So that's how they can list five and ten generations and keep going. So in the same way, what we find as we look at lineage and genealogy in the Bible, this is the way they view it. They know their lineage. It really matters. It's important in Judaism. It's important in cultures that, that value family name. And this is where we're going to be this morning as we finish Luke chapter 3 and look at the genealogy of Jesus. You know, it has been interesting now in the West, more people have been curious about lineage, you know, websites like Ancestry.com, it's allowed people to dive in a little bit more and find out about what their family name is and what that means. Some do it simply out of curiosity, others begin to study that because they want to know a little bit more of where they come from, you know, who makes me what I am today, and so they look at lineage that way. And so in the same way, when we find these lists of lineage and genealogy, it matters in the Bible. And so as we look at Luke chapter 3, and we study the lineage of Jesus, here's what we're ultimately going to find out this morning, is that God-confidence is better than self-confidence. God-confidence is better than self-confidence. This is what we're going to draw out of the text today. So if you have your Bibles, <laughs> and I hope you do, I hope you have your Bible this morning. If you don't, we have uh, Bibles underneath the seat in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that one home as a gift from the church. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 23 through 38. Verses 23 to 38. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We are thankful for the fact that God gave us His Word, and so we just stand out of reverence for the Word that we have. Now, I thought I'd do something a little bit different this morning. I like to capitalize on teaching moments when I can. You know, some people, they have the, the goal of reading through the Bible every year, which I think is a great goal. So if you don't have a goal for your Bible reading, maybe try to, uh, there's lots of plans out there, Bible reading plans, try to read through the Bible every year and allow that word to be immersed into your life. But what I have found is people that do that, they get to the lineage lists. Yeah, you guys are laughing. What happens? Hey, wow, my Bible reading went fast this morning. I just skipped right over it. That's what happens, Right. And part of that is, is you have a hard time maybe pronouncing those names. So now here's where technology can help you today. If you have on your phone the YouVersion app, or you go online to Bible.com, when you look up these Bible passages, they have the option there for the passage. Basically, they'll read the passage to you. So what I would encourage you to do is as you get to a, a list of lineage or maybe something that's harder to read in a passage, just go to the YouVersion app, go to Bible.com, and there's a button where you can hit play, and they're going to read that list to you. But follow along, so then you can start to learn some of those names. So we're going to do that today. 
I decided not to subject a scripture reader to reading through this list this morning. You know, we usually do that. So I asked them, I said, hey, pull up Bible.com and let's show the church what that looks like. So let's go ahead and play that. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Well done, Bible.com. <laughs> Those are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Woo! Quite a list. Well, we started into the New Testament book of Luke with the understanding as we looked at the birth narrative of Jesus and John the Baptist that God is here, that God showed up in incredible ways and everything changed in the course of history. And we see that in our own lives, that when God shows up in our lives, everything changes. And then we move from that into a section on get ready, that we saw Jesus was getting ready for 30 years for the ministry that he was going to step into. And we saw John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to, uh, for people to accept who Jesus was and to be ready for him. And now we've stepped into a, a section on water, wilderness, and wonder. Water, wilderness, and wonder. And I love this section. What we find in the section on water, which is what we're dealing with, we, a couple of weeks ago before Easter, we talked about the baptism of Jesus, and then we had a water baptism service, which was incredible. And it was awesome to see, as we look at water baptism, our identification for us in the life of Jesus, that we participate in his death and resurrection. So as we deal with water, it's all about identity. And what I like about Luke is he takes from the water baptism, moves into the lineage of Jesus, and that continues to reinforce that understanding that we start with the first place we begin is in our identity and who we are. And so that's where this lineage list comes from. And so now as we deal with this section of water, 
what we find this morning is, is that God confidence is better than self-confidence because in Jesus, you are known. That God confidence is better than self-confidence because in Jesus, you are known. You know, we have a natural desire, a natural inclination to want to be known. Every human has this need on some level. I can't tell you how often our kids, especially as toddlers, they wanted us to see what they were doing at all times. And in fact, when I was preparing this message, I was remembering Nate. He was first learning how to talk, and so his expression was, Dad, Dad, wad this, wad this. <laughs> he wants me to watch this. You know, he's about to do something spectacular. And that has the same thing that, that we have, that desire to, for having others to pay attention to us. We, we, it's a natural human inclination. And this is how shows like American Idol and others became so popular. They capitalized on this human desire, a desire to be known. And really, it's a God-given desire. Because what our soul longs for most is to be known by God, to be reconnected with our Creator. And now linked to this desire to be known, as I've talked with people, is, is a fear that once we're gone, no one will remember us. No one will miss us. It's been interesting to talk with people who live with this fear. They're reflecting on life and wondering if they lived a life worth remembering. And this is really where family lineage comes in. And what genealogy show us is that no person is an island unto themselves. We come into this world reflecting a heritage and we represent someone. And Jesus, from our passage this morning, he's no exception. His family is full of significant historical figures like David and Boaz and Jacob and Abraham and Noah and Adam, important people. And in this list are some who walked closely with God, and then there are those whose walk was a little bit uneven. And in this list are also people who are well-known Old Testament people who made a great mark. But there are also those who are known only in this listing. We wouldn't know them otherwise. So Jesus represents both the well-known and the unknown of the world. You know, in the church, it actually mirrors this truth, that there are some who function within the Christian community. They don't really have a, a public platform. They are a bit unknown in their service for the kingdom. But here's what matters. God knows everyone, and he honors all faithfulness, no matter the role. Let me say that again. God knows everyone, and he honors all faithfulness, no matter the role. You know, if you were to examine your family heritage, I'm sure you could find people to emulate, and others, you look at their lives, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to learn from that. You could find both examples, I'm sure. I'm sure you could find some who are well-known, and others who may be only known by public record. So I got curious. I was working on this message. I know a little bit of my family heritage, not a whole lot. So then I, I called up mom and dad and was talking with them about that. It was interesting for my mom. She could go way back in her family lineage. And what I was basically able to find out, so my mom's 100% German, came from a, a German community in South Dakota. And so as she was looking uh, back at the lineage, what we found is our, our relatives, our you know, lineage way back was in Germany, but they migrated to north of the Black Sea. And you can actually look this up there. They were called Black Sea Germans because they went there and farmed in this part of what was Russia. So they went to Russia, they were farming, and then at the advent of free land in America, then they went, some of them, decided to go. And what was neat is I went on Ancestry.com. They've got boat manifests. So I actually got to see 
my heritage of, of, I think it was the Overlanders was their name, because again, it's my mom's name, so Maddox wasn't the last name. Overlanders, they boarded a boat in Bremen, Germany, and made it to New York, and then wound up in Eureka, South Dakota, and began farming in South Dakota. So that was the lineage. And what was interesting to find out is had they not left when they had the advent of free land, during the Bolshevik Revolution, that community, the German community in the, in the north of the Black Sea, they were put into forced labor camps, and a lot of them died because of starvation. So praise be to God, my family members had the foresight to say, we've got free, free land in America, let's go chase after it. So that was my mom's side. And so then I start looking at my dad's side, and our, my last name, Maddox, is Welch, and it came from Prince Maddox was where it came from. So Maddox is just son of Prince Maddox. And here's kind of the fun part of the story, although it's legend. So I'm going to say something. It's not true. It's legend. So hopefully you catch that. But basically the story was is that there was family fighting in, in his family in, in Wales. And so he jumped on a boat and started exploring. And so the legend is, is that he discovered America in 1170. I'm not going to claim that my family found America. I'm just saying that's legend. But anyway, so that's at least what I was able to find that it's claimed. And really where that came from is Great Britain. They wanted to, you know, because Wales is a part of that, that whole uh, thing. They wanted to claim America for themselves. So they just felt that would be a good story to, to you know, put out there. Um, but that's actually what they found as is, is family heritage is that they went and they landed somewhere. And then really the Maddox family was in Georgia, Arkansas, Missouri. Eventually um, they went up to the Pacific Northwest have, I think it would be a great uncle who was the first aviator in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so it's interesting to look back. But I'll tell you, as part of that digging goes, then you find some people who don't have the best past. You're like, ooh, that's kind of rough. Um, we're not going to talk too much about that family member. Anybody got some of those? Don't raise your hands. No, don't raise your hands. <laughs> but you do, you find that. If you, if you dig into your family heritage, that's, those are things that you'll find. Um, some of you, what I have found is people look into their lineage, they kind of go two directions. And the first one is, you know, some of you, you have a great family name that people know you simply because of the family that you belong to. And that's not a terrible thing, but here's what's important. In the kingdom of God, your last name does not define you. Your last name, let me take that further, does not save you. Your parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, your aunts and uncles and cousins, they really don't define who you are. But then there are some, although some have reason to be proud of their family name, there are those that might be embarrassed by their family. You have a family past that you're not proud of. You might even worry that your genetic makeup is destined to failure. Maybe you even believe in generational curses. Let me tell you this morning, as a child of God, you have to remember your family lineage does not define who you are. Followers of Jesus are not destined to live in their family's sins. The cross is enough to set us free from every bondage. Let me say that again. The cross is enough to set us free from every bondage. You're no longer a slave to sin. As I shared last week, if you're, you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you have been placed into a new field, one that's ruled by Jesus and righteousness. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week's message. But it's important for us to know that. And just as my family lineage has both positive and negative examples throughout, so will yours. But I put no confidence in my family name. I put no confidence in my family heritage. I put my confidence in the King of Kings. Why? 
because I'm not looking for self-confidence. I desire God-confidence. I'm first and foremost a child of God. And in that, I know I can be confident. Before you are anything else in this world, you are a child of God. And if you have God-confidence, that's all that the confidence that you need. Confidence in God the Father is really what matters. You need to embrace and live in that identity today. I want to go back to the message I shared before Easter. As Jesus was water baptized, God the Father, he spoke over Jesus. Here's what he said, that you are loved, you are a child of God, and I am pleased with you. This is your truest identity as a follower of Jesus. And so far as we can tell, here's what I want us to think about. And here's a question about that moment. I kind of alluded to this, but now I want to really come back to it. Did the Father say this before or after Jesus began his public ministry? Which one? Before or after? Before. He makes this declaration before Jesus really does anything that we have record of. This is really important for our understanding of identity. And so far as we can tell, has Jesus performed a miracle yet? Has he cast out any demons, raised any dead people, healed any sick people, walked on any lakes? Has he done any of that? No, he's done none of it. Has he resisted Satan's temptations? It's coming, but not yet. So how could the Father be well pleased with him? What has he been doing? Here's what he's been doing. He's been working an honest job as a carpenter with his dad, Joseph, for about 30 years. That's what he's been doing. If you're a good plumber, electrician, farmer, teacher, mom, God is pleased with that. We have to remember that. People like me, people who are pastors, we're no holier than you. People who are in paid vocational ministry are no closer to God than those who aren't because the truth is we all work for God. We just live that out in different ways. I love the fact that the Bible records that the Father loves the Son and is pleased with Him before He does anything public. And this is the opposite of legalism and religion. And I want you to get this point. Here's what legalism and religion, it basically says... Work really hard, try your best, and at the end of your life, maybe God will say, well, now I adopt you, now I loved you, now I'm pleased with your life. But our God's a God of grace. He reveals himself as a loving father. And our relationship with him begins with love and approval and affection. So I've got five kids, two in heaven from miscarriages, and all of my children begin with a statement, I am your father, you are mine, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. We tell our kids that nearly every day. And this is where we begin with God. So many people, men in particular, their whole life they've wanted to hear from their father what Jesus heard, that you are my son, you are loved, and I am pleased with you. I'm thankful I grew up in a home where I heard that regularly. But for those that did not, I have good news. If you are in Jesus, you are loved, you are a son, and the Father is pleased with you. That's where our relationship with God starts. Some of you could say, well, I just haven't made great choices in life. Well, welcome to the club. Everybody in this room has not made great choices in life, I promise you. And here's what it says in multiple places in the New Testament. I'm just going to pull up one from Galatians. Paul's writing the church in Galatia, and here's what he shares. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a great scripture. And here's what Paul is saying. Jesus went to the cross and he took our place. This is what we celebrated last week at Easter. And in so doing, he gave us his place. We switched spots. And isn't that amazing that Jesus goes to the cross, he suffers and dies in our place for our sins. God made him, what we find in Scripture, who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So Jesus goes to the cross, he took your place, he took my place, and he gave you his place as a son of God. And when the Bible says that in Jesus we're sons and daughters of God, what it is saying is is that we hold the esteemed position that the son did, that we get the full inheritance in the family name, which is Christian. There's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We are all treated like sons and daughters. We're all known by God. We all have this privileged position through Jesus, our sins forgiven, adopted into the family of God. He says the Holy Spirit is placed in our heart so that we can cry out to God as Father. So even if you don't have a dad, he's a father to the fatherless, and he has an inheritance for us. And Paul says the down payment of that is the Holy Spirit being given to us. That's the deposit. And the Holy Spirit, it empowers us for our new purpose and our new identity. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So if our identity is a son or a daughter who is loved, and the Father is pleased with us, And the power is the power of the Holy Spirit, now that we're freed from sin, to live a new life patterned after Jesus's, one of great passion and joy, not powered by religion and guilt, but by the Holy Spirit's power. And this is what I pray the Holy Spirit confirms to you today, that if you're in Jesus, you're a son, you're a daughter. The Father loves you like he loves Jesus. The Father's pleased with you as he's pleased with Jesus. And the Father has good things for you as he does for Jesus. And that should change everything. You're known by God. By putting your faith in him, you can have God confidence over self-confidence. When you begin to doubt your ability, remember who you are in Jesus. If you've doubted your significance in life, whether or not you are important in this world, be confident in who you are as a child of God. God-confidence is better than self-confidence because in Jesus you are known. And God-confidence is better than self-confidence because in Jesus you are a divine heir. God-confidence is better than self-confidence because in Jesus you are a divine heir. You know, Luke includes the lineage of Jesus because he wants to show Jesus' connection to David, to Abraham, and to Adam. Because each connection allows a point to be made about who Jesus is and who he is qualified to serve. The connection to David establishes his rights as a regal heir. Jesus can be king of Israel. The son of God, in this sense, it involves the right to rule as the promised one, the son of David. The connection to Abraham, it links Jesus to the national promise and the hope of Israel. The connection to Adam, it allows Luke to argue that Jesus represents all humanity. He represents us all. So in Jesus, God has carefully designed affairs so that as son, Jesus can realize both the hope of the Old Testament and the hope of all creation. And the fact that this list of ancestry, that it extends to Adam, it makes a fundamental point. The promised king of Israel is also head of the human race. 
God's promise to Israel becomes our promise in Jesus. Gentiles have been grafted into blessing alongside Jews who believe in Jesus. What a promise we have. Anyone who trusts Jesus becomes a child of Abraham. We see this in Romans and we see this in Galatians. And we share in the line of that promise. The list of names spanning the century, it declares that God is about something special in his creation. Association with Jesus and the promise is an opportunity to blessing that took God's centuries to prepare. What an awesome thing that we have in the lineage of Jesus. And now, what are the promises of God? I was walking through an understanding that we have promises in God because we follow Jesus, but what are the promises we have? I'm going to run through what's a very small list. I mean, if you go through Scripture and you look up the promises of God, the list is vast. It's incredible. But I'm just going to list a couple. But let me say up front, these promises are conditional promises. They belong to those who follow God and chase after his ways that are living for him. Here's the first one. We find that we're promised that God's presence goes with us. His presence as we leave from this place, it goes with us everywhere that we go. We're called to be people of the presence of God in the world. We're also promised that God will not abandon us. He will not leave us alone. He will not leave us unto ourselves. What a great promise. We're promised that God fights for us. When things happen, we know that we can turn it over to him. He takes care of things. We see that God honors us, that God rewards us, that he causes us to prosper. All great promises of God. We see that God is our refuge. So when we're facing hardship, we can hide in him. He sustains us. He makes our paths straight. He makes our plans succeed. He pours out his spirit on his people. What a great promise in Joel. The last one I'll end is he gives us the promise of eternal life. We see in John 3, 16 that God so loved the world, he loved us, that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him will not die, but live with him for eternity. They will have and be given eternal life. These are incredible promises of God. And as we look at this, we find as we follow Jesus as a divine heir, we need to know that you are royalty and you are given the promises of God. When you're tempted to be confident in what you can accomplish to have self-confidence, review the promises of God, and instead, let's grab on to those and have God confidence. When you walk into work tomorrow, you need to remember that you represent royalty. You need to walk like it, you need to act like it. You need to talk like it. You're representing the King of Kings. So let's live as who we are. God confidence is better than self confidence because in Jesus, you are known as a divine heir. And the last point is this that God confidence is better than self confidence because in Jesus, we are all connected. God confidence is better than self confidence because we see in Scripture that we are all connected connected. You know, self-confidence, and my experience shows that it can come at the expense of devaluing others. Self-confident individuals can sometimes disregard those around them because they've learned independence and self-sufficiency. But those whose confidence is in God, they value the interaction of others. They understand the inherent value each person holds in the kingdom of God. So God confidence reinforces the understanding that we are all connected. Jesus' roots, I love that Luke takes it all the way back to Adam, the figure through whom all of us are connected to one another. 
If you study modern-day DNA research, it's really interesting. They've been able to continue to go down, 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 and pinpoint that in the end, it seems like it all gets tied back to one man and one woman. Surprise, surprise, science backs up what we find in Genesis. That's what it's showing. And it's incredible that they're studying that, and that's what they see. And in a day when ethnic diversity and hatred are high, we would do well to understand that we are all connected. It's important for us to live in that. In his provision for humanity, Jesus represents us all. It's easy to let our nationality, our race, our social status blind us to this fundamental truth. As human beings, we not only share a planet, but we share a relationship with one another. We have to live in that. And Jesus came to reconcile us to each other. Ephesians 2 is a great scripture. He talks about Paul is writing the church in Ephesus, and he says that Jesus came and he tore down the dividing wall between those who were far off, which is the Gentiles, all of us pretty much, and those who are near from the Jews. So Jesus came to reconcile us to one another, and he's in a unique position to accomplish that goal. God's plan of salvation indicates he did not want to be a tribal God of only one people and only one region. Because that was what we find. When they worship Baal, it's because that was the region that he was in. But God came for us all. He is a God to represent us all. And that's what Jesus did. So God confidence leads us to an awareness and appreciation of the fact that we are all connected. When you see others not like you, remember that through Jesus, through Adam, you are connected to that person. When you're tempted to talk badly about someone who is not of your social status, not of your nationality, not of your religious background. Remember, Jesus represents them all, and he came for each one. God-confidence is far better than self-confidence. You participated in our Naturally Supernatural Connect class uh, this spring. Several weeks ago, we went out on a Wednesday night to meet with people in our community. We invited them to the Easter extravaganza. We invited them to church. We, We took time to pray with people and just had God conversations. But one of the best things that came out of that evening as I was talking with people is many came back and said, you know, I so often have walked into the church to think this is my church, these are my people, but now all of a sudden as I walked out on that Wednesday night, I began to understand, wait a minute, Lord, these are my people in Walmart, in Meyer, on the Purdue campus, that we live in a community that we know that God's heart is, is that none should perish. That's what his word says. God's heart is is that we live out as a church and live in community. We're not just a church of 500, 600, 800 last week. We're a church of 170,000 in the greater Lafayette area. And we need to live and think in that way. And if we live in our identity as royalty in the King of Kings, then we can live as we walk in the streets and understand this community belongs to the Lord. And we're a part of that because we're called to bring his presence into the streets. As you go into your workplaces, you need to remember who it is you represent, and you need to understand that God's heart is for those people. Same thing as you go into your classes, as you go and shop and you just go about your daily activities, as you walk about your neighborhood. May we live with a mindset that says, this community right here where we're at is not just my community. My community is far outside these walls. We've got a lot of people that need to know who they are in Jesus. I love that the ending of our scripture this morning, here's how it ends. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. That last phrase is what we've got to hold on to. No matter what name you have, so I'm Zach, the son of Robert, the son of Stanley, the son of Shirley, all of that ends. Insert your own name there. 
So you could be, where's Jeff? Jeff, the son of Steve. We could go through that list. Michael, the son of Cliff. Tori, the son of James. You could run through that list, but at the end, what matters is, is that you are a son or you are a daughter of the king. May you live in that identity. May you walk out of here with that confidence that I'm confident in who I am in Christ more than I'm confident in who I am in this family. And as you're confident in who you are in Christ, walk and talk and act like you are royalty. And as we do that, we will see the greater Lafayette area transformed in Jesus' name. People delivered of drug and alcohol addictions. Marriages restored. Families put back in place. So let's be committed as we leave from this place to emptying hell and filling up heaven with the people in your office, in your neighborhoods, and in your classrooms. Be confident in who you are in Christ as a son and daughter of God. I invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. The music team's going to come. And as they come, I'd like to ask, maybe you're here today, and the reason that you've lacked God confidence and you feel like you've got to build up your self-confidence is because you've never turned your life over to God. And it all starts there. You can't claim to be a son or daughter of the king unless you're living in his kingdom. You have the opportunity today to walk out of here with God confidence. How could your life look different and instead of relying upon yourself, you're relying upon the God who created the world? So if you're here today and you'd say, you know what? I want my life to be different. I want to turn my life over to God. I want God confidence more than I want self-confidence. I just want to pray with you today. So with every head bowed in this room this morning, if that's you today and say, you know what? I want to live with God confidence today. I want to turn my life over to who he is. I want to be reconnected with my creator. I want to follow Jesus. Simply raise your hand. I'm just going to pray with you before we go today. Anybody that would say, that's me today, I want God confidence more than I want self-confidence over here in the middle. Anybody else? I would say, I'm looking for God confidence today. Over here on the left, anybody else? Back here in the middle, anybody else that say, I want to follow God? Over here in the middle as well, anybody else? Several today that say, I want God confidence more than I want self-confidence because I know God can do what I cannot do. Anybody else before I pray? God, I just pray for those that raised their hand today that said, God, I want God confidence. I don't want to just rely upon myself. I want to follow you in all things. And so, God, I just pray that you would strengthen their hearts. I pray that they would turn from all evil, Lord. I pray that they would dedicate their lives to you and commit their lives to you in all things. I just pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. Give them strength as they live. I pray that you give them wisdom and how to walk with you for a lifetime. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. If I could invite uh, some of our prayer team members down here this morning, so if we could get some of the prayer team members. We just want to encourage those that raised their hand today. So if you are part of the prayer team, would you mind to come down here this morning? Thank you for coming for the prayer team. And if you raised your hand this morning, all that we want you to be able to do, so Gina, if you want to go ahead and capture people, if you just want to come down this morning, not in any way to embarrass you, but we just want to celebrate you this morning. Could we celebrate those that made that decision this morning? So if that's you, I just encourage you to come. We're just going to have you meet with our prayer team members. Anybody else that made that decision, I'd be willing to come and meet with our prayer team members. Want to give you a Bible and information on where you go from here. So we're just going to go ahead and have them walk down. So Gina, if you want to grab people as they come down, we're going to send them out the side door. We just give them a Bible and give them information on where they go from here and following Jesus. So could we just applaud them as they leave from here this morning? Anybody else that wants to come, feel free to come. Now let's just sing.